to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am your host, Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I am certified through the Council for Professional Dog Trainers. If you don't already know this, dog training is a completely unregulated industry, and that is why I went ahead and got the certification to kind of push the integrity of the industry. So, you know, so, you know, I'll include a link to the certificate, uh, the Council for Certified Professional Dog Trainer website in the show notes. So you can kind of check that out just to give you a little bit more perspective. Um, I'm really looking forward to sharing my conversation with Abigail. Um, she is dog mom to Ariel, Asparagus, and Rose. And if you don't already follow her on Instagram at Ariel the Brindle, I highly recommend you do. Her dogs are so so cute and they have so much fun together. Um, But before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that I am going to be releasing a few spots to my online course, Trustworthy Recalls. If you want to be on the list to get a spot in that course, um, I'm going to release the course at a discounted price um, since it's the first time going out in case I need to work out any tweaks um, or bugs. So head over to my website, agfdogtraining.com, and you can enter your email there and I'll be sure to let you know when I open enrollment to trustworthy recalls, okay? So um, if this is your first time joining me, welcome. I'm so happy to have you. I hope that this episode will be helpful. Um, If you haven't already listened to the previous episode, number 15, I talk all about traveling with dogs, so go ahead and give that a listen. Um, If you like this podcast, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes. I think that the more reviews I get, the more dog owners we can reach and hopefully give them some help that they need. Um, Before I jump into my conversation with Abigail, um, I just wanted to talk about a few things. Um, Remember, when it comes to reactive dogs, you should never be using punishment. Choke chains, pinch collars, shock collars, that is not going to get to the root emotional behavior and problem that's happening when you deal with a reactive dog. That stuff is only going to change surface behavior and it's not going to really get to what's happening underneath all of that, those emotions. So don't use those tools, okay? And if you're working with a trainer who is telling you you should use those tools, you should fire them and you should hire a qualified positive reinforcement trainer. If you need help finding a trainer in your area, please feel free to DM me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. I am happy to connect you with a qualified professional in your area. I do also offer Skype consults. So if you wanted to work with me, we could do some Skype consults and I, I felt like you needed more in-person work, again, I would be happy to connect you with a qualified trainer in your area, okay? And another 
Another thing on the topic of reactivity, I think that reactivity is kind of a big bubble. So I think it's important to identify specific behaviors and address those. Okay, so if you have a dog who can be reactive to other dogs, what does that look like? Is it contingent on being on the leash? Are they barking? Are they lunging? So I want you to identify specific behaviors instead of kind of just like lumping them all into the reactivity category. All right, so um, let's go ahead and dive into my conversation with Abigail. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Disorderly Dogs. I am so excited to have uh, Abigail joining me today. Um, she has three dogs, but we're going to talk about Ariel in particular because she is her reactive dog. So Abigail, I'm going to let you just kind of tell us about Ariel and kind of tell us like what she's reactive to and kind of like what that looked like initially. Yeah. So Ariel is my first dog. I adopted her about three years ago. And prior to adopting her, she had been living in a boarding facility. So she was with a rescue. She was safe, but she was living basically in a cage for four years, very under socialized, that didn't have a lot of like training because, you know, there was no one there working with her. Right. Um, And so Prior to that, the rescue had pulled her from a shelter down in Tennessee where she had been labeled aggressive and was set scheduled to be euthanized. Um, so we got Ariel as an only dog. And basically, she's incredibly reactive to other dogs. She wasn't properly socialized, I'm sure, and doesn't know how to socially interact with other dogs. She, her greetings are very awkward and like, they're intense, they're over the top. And then when dogs correct her or show any signs of discomfort, she gets, we'll say offended and reacts very negatively with that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, So she doesn't like dogs like lunging at her on the streets or barking at her or any of that. Okay. And was this contextual to just the leash or was this on and off leash? On and off leash. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, and I think it's helpful too to d- define specific behaviors, you know, because I think reactivity kind of it's too big a bubble, you know. So that's why I want to look at like the specific things, you know, like her awkward intros. And that's super common with dogs who just don't have enough experience with other dogs, right? It's not that she's aggressive, she just is she doesn't have communication skills yet. Right. Yeah. Okay, so um what was your first like mode of training? Like, did you guys just work on bonding first? Did you do like basic manners? Like how did you start like addressing the reactivity? Yeah. So the first thing we really focused on was just, yeah, I guess basic obedience and like developing trust between us. Brilliant. Um, So we spent several months just figuring out how to get her to, like listen to us in really stressful situations. Um, And so for us, originally a stressful situation was just being outside. And like we worked up to stressful situations being actually stressful and like being outside being not so overwhelming and stimulating for her. Yeah. And I love that you worked on like the trust and the bonding first, because like living in a kennel environment like that, I'm sure she probably didn't have a great perspective on like, communicating with the person even 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the people came and walked her maybe once a day if she was lucky. And then they'd bring her right back. And that was it. I mean. Yeah, no. And that's captivity, right? Like living. And it makes sense that like being out in the world would be overwhelming. If you only see the world for like 30 minutes a day, it makes plenty of sense from her perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Nice, nice. Okay, so um, okay, so once you got to a point where like she could be outside and like focus on you, then how did you address like specific triggers? So like when you were out walking, like initially were you just avoiding dogs or were you avoiding going places where you thought you would see dogs? Um, so a little bit of both in terms of avoiding. Okay. We basically Basically, I would just walk her in my neighborhood and I learned very quickly where the dogs, other dogs lived. Right. right. Um, like places to avoid because you knew it would cause her stress. Yeah. And like we kind of learned, like she and I learned like what houses have barking dogs outside and how to avoid those roots and what their schedules were. Um, nice. Okay. So to kind of originally just address that and kind of get her let like stimulation levels down is we really just we spend a lot of time basically just sitting in the yard um which is people would walk by and like think I was crazy because I would just be sitting there with her like waiting for her to like pay attention to me and then I would give her like a treat like a very high value she really loves peanut butter peanut butter is her favorite thing you know it's me like people in the neighborhood know me as the crazy lady who carries the jar of peanut butter because I carry, <laughs> I, I carry a glass jar of peanut butter and like a, a, a spoon, like a real spoon. Okay. But that's brilliant. And that's what it takes, right? Like yeah, if it yeah. works, that's why you keep doing it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think that that's an important point, right? Is that like, if you want to make meaningful behavior change, you got to be using a reinforcement that you can deliver that the dog is like happy to eat yeah yeah okay and I I love it because I think reactive like pet parents can totally commiserate with you right and like the things you have to do to help your dog I've totally been that crazy dog lady where people are looking at me like what is this woman doing and I just wave I'm like we're just doing some dog training thanks for getting it all in (laughs) oh yeah there's been lots of that (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think something that's important for everybody to understand is that dogs who are reactive are nine times out of 10 unsure of themselves. So we're using the high value reinforcement to pair it with the stimulus of another dog, right? So that they get happy feelings when they see the other dog. And that in and of itself is going to greatly decrease the unwanted like overreactions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you started in the front yard. Okay, so what were you rewarding for first? Just her looking at you? Yep, just making eye contact, paying attention to me. We started working on basic obedience. So like if she would sit when I asked her to, but just, you know, paying attention and not like trying to get out into the street or chase a squirrel or bark at another dog. Yeah, go over the top. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. And then um initially when she saw another dog like when you were out on a walk for example was she like pulling lunging barking like what did that behavior look like at first yeah so at first she was it was it was kind of very intimidating because I was a first-time dog owner I had really no idea what I was doing realistically rash Um, course of dog behavior right (laughs) yeah so she she would pull she would lunge she would bark there would be some snarling um and eventually I learned like 
b- before we got to that point, like I could, I would be able to tell, I could see like the hair on the back of her, like on her back stand up. I could see her tail go really stiff and her ears go forward. Um, but that was stuff that I had to like observe and learn just by like spending time with her. Yeah. Right. And those are little things that like they're individual to each dog too. Like those, yes. those behavior differences. And I'm sure like your other two dogs too, like I'm sure you notice like different subtleties in their behavior too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and then, okay. And then once she was comfortable in the front yard, did mm-hmm. you start like going in the neighborhood more? Like, what did that look like? What was your next step? So our next step was to work, keep working on the basic obedience in the yard and then slowly like ask for a come and then a sit and like kind of like sneak out of the yard and have her continually doing the tricks as we move down the road with her not realizing we've left the yard. Nice. Okay. Right. So just bridging her comfort level and keeping her like in that happy headspace. Yeah. And so like early on we'd get, you know, maybe 10 feet down the road before she was like, Oh, we're out and about in the neighborhood. I'm going to be on alert now. And then okay. eventually we we could do the whole walk. It was like a mile. We could do the whole walk with her just in constant focus with me doing obedience. That's great. And I think, you know, it's great that she's providing behaviors. But I think what's happening under all of that is that, like, she's in a, a, a happy enough, like, headspace that she can participate. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's something really important for people to understand is that you can punish reactive behavior but you are not going to address the underlying emotions. Right. Right. Like yeah. you, can, you can punish surface behaviors. I don't think you should. I don't encourage people to do it because it won't work long term. But that's the difference. Right. Like that's the difference between punishing a dog for doing something and making sure that the dog is comfortable in a happy headspace. And you've done that so brilliantly. And, you know, guys, if you aren't already following Abby on Instagram, I'll include the the links to that in the show notes. She has a really good, like, highlight reel of, like, the step-by-step process she took to m- help Ariel feel comfortable. I love that, Abigail. It's awesome. We tried lots of things. So if you think you're <laughs> something you're doing is, like, crazy, like, I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I love that you use your platform to help educate people, you know, because, you know, I think it's easy just to like post highlight reels on social media, but you're so honest and real about like what you guys went through. And I, and I totally admire that. Yeah. It's been really encouraging because so many people have reached out and been like, my dog's reactive in this situation and your tips helped me manage that. And I'm like, that makes me feel so good. That's like why I'm encouraged to do this. Yeah, right. Well, and I think that there's so much stigma too, like the blocky headed dogs. I feel like as like a blocky headed dog owner, we feel even more obligated to like address unwanted behavior. Yes, absolutely. So many people cross the street when they see Ariel and she loves people like so much. She does. Bless her. <laughs> She's- She's amazing with my nephew, like with small children who approach her in the street. She loves children. But you see parents pull their kids away when she walks down the street because she's she's a pit mix. Right. Yeah. And it's so hard. Right. And I think just one step at a time, we are all trying to dispel those horrible myths about the blocky headed dogs. Yeah. Right. Because once you know them and love them and live with them, there's no going back. 
Yeah, you know, there's like no difference based on the fact that their head is a little squarer than another dog's. It's not, that's not what it's about. They're all dogs, right? All dogs are capable of happy behavior and aggressive behavior, right? Like it's not exclusive to blocky headed dogs by any means. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Ariel was your first dog. Okay, so how long did you have her? And like, how much did you work through the reactivity before you thought about adding another dog to the mix? So two years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we, she and I worked for about two years before I felt confident enough to attempt an introduction. And so it's actually been a year since she met her first like dog friend that she like spent time with. Nice. Um, yeah. And I think that that's an important timeline for people to realize is that like behavior change does not happen overnight. No, not at all. And I was in grad school, so I had a little bit more free time than I do now. Um, And I devoted a lot of hours to my day, like working with her and putting her in situations that would help her and, you know, setting her up for success. Yeah. Okay. So when you were working through like some of like the reactivity protocol, like how did you keep track? Did you like take notes or did you just like have it in your head? I'm always curious, like how people are keeping track of like progress and like when you should maybe push criteria. Um, so I film a lot. Yes. Oh my gosh. I I preach all the time. Record your training sessions. I always have my phone with me and that's actually what helped me most identify some of her more subtle triggers because I wasn't seeing them in the moment at all. I mean, sometimes I'm not even looking at her. I'm trying to see where the trigger is to make sure it's not like going to get us or whatever. Right. Cause you always have to be scanning your environment. Right. And so just filming her and then going back and like looking, Oh, when something happens, I can go back and be like, Oh, look, like I see this. And you know, she, we got like five feet to the, the neighbor's barking dog before she reacted. And last time it looked, we were at the post down the street and that was 20 feet away. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. And then did you notice like, as you were working through her reactivity and like, as you got to know her and you guys were working better as a team, did you notice like ups and downs in the reactivity training? Oh, absolutely. It was not, it's not, it hasn't been a linear path and we're still not, I wouldn't say we're there yet anyways. Um, she has, you know, I've noticed when she's not feeling well, she's more reactive. Sometimes she just wakes up grumpy, you know, those kinds of things, but also like trigger stacking can happen. And then that sets us and that sets us back. And then we have to work back up to it. Um, so like we've, we've made progress where it's like, we can walk by this dog who barks at us in the, in the neighborhood every day for a month. And then she gets barked at twice before that that's unusual. And then we walk by that dog and she reacts and I have to spend another month or two getting her to not bark at that dog again. Yeah. Right. And like training isn't a fixed point in time. It's a journey. It really is. And I think that that's important for people to realize, you know, because again, it's like, if all you see see is like a highlight reel of someone's training journey on social media, like, I don't think that does justice to like the emotional roller coaster. It, it is not only for the dog, but it is to be the dog's person too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's a, there's a, some discouragement from posting that emotional stuff because you don't want to post about your failures. It's, it's hard to post about your failures because you, you feel like you failed your dog sometimes. And that, that's really hard to face. Yeah. And it's hard to be raw and vulnerable, you know, like mm-hmm. when you're doing your best, and <laughs> you're trying 
But I think it's important that we all kind of come together as a community, right? And build each other up and realize that like we're all human and we can't control every single aspect of what's happening in the world, right? Like I wish that every owner was responsible and there were not instances of like people ruining it for reactive dogs, but that's real life. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. So, okay. So you were two years in when you like, so she lived with you for two years before you did like any like intros to dogs. Um, we did a couple of, I'll call them pack walks Okay. where there was no introductions. There was no butt sniffing, none of that, but we would walk down the street with another dog. Um, yeah. Okay. So just we, we knew. Walking. Yeah. But some, yeah, it took some time to work up to that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. And then, so how did you do the first intro? So was it, um, Rose or Gus that you added second? Um, so the first intro was a foster dog actually. Okay. Okay. And um, how did you manage that? Like, what did that look like? So we got, I got a call from one of the shelters that I volunteer at saying, we have this dog that's not doing well in the shelter. Can he come live with you? until he gets adopted. And I said, you know what? Yes. And my intent originally was I have enough space. I have a million rooms. I've got baby gates everywhere. I was like, okay, like I'll just keep them separate. Yeah, you know, I, I can, I can do this. We'll create and rotate. There's, I've got an upstairs and a downstairs. There's a door that separates it. Like I can do this. And then actually originally I did some like quiet resting in the house in the same room, but on opposite sides of the room, just to see like how she would do, like, was she going to freak out when there's another dog sitting in the living room? Um, and she didn't care at all. And I was shocked. So like I had her on a leash, I was holding the leash. I had the other dog in a crate and she was looking at the dog. She was like, showed no signs of reactivity. And I was totally shocked. So then we started doing the parallel walking. I had some help, someone to walk the other dog. We did some parallel walks over a couple days. So I think it was three days before I even let her attempt to butt sniff. And I think that's so wise because it is so much easier to take it slow than like letting it go south and then having to work backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So I probably like was too cautious, but I don't regret it for a second. I mean, right. And I think some of it too is like getting ourselves emotionally ready. You know, like, I'm sure she was probably more ready than you were at first. You know, you're yeah. like, okay, can I do this? All right. I'm, I'm, I, I, she's doing good. Okay. I can do this. Okay. And then how old was the foster dog? Uh, I, he was about six. Okay. Okay. So it was an adult dog. It wasn't like a puppy or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was an adult dog. He was a small chihuahua mix. So he was like 10 pounds. Nice. Nice. Oh my gosh. What a good feeling to see her just like cool, calm and collected when there's another dog in your house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So then you did the parallel walking and then did you allow like short greetings on leash? Like how did you like manage the like actual, like getting to sniff each other? Yeah. So we did short greetings on leash where both of us were still moving. Um, so we didn't let the other dog like turn around and then okay. vice versa. We, we didn't let her turn around. Um, cause which I've now found out is like face to face greetings are very hard for her. Yeah. And that's super common. That's most dogs, right? Like the nose to nose, that kind of, that builds tension right from yes. the beginning. Yeah. yeah. She's very sensitive to that. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, okay. And then when did you feel comfortable to let them just like 
no leashes, just interact? Um, it was probably like two or three weeks um, nice. till we okay. got to that point. And in between that stage, I guess, was, you know, we had like monitoring. I was there, leashes on, but not being held. Ariel had the muzzle on. You know, there was, there was, everyone had collars that could be grabbed. I had other people over to help. I love that. Yeah. And you have to have those management contingencies in place, right? Because you need a backup plan if it doesn't go the way you want it to. Yeah. And I think that that's really important because, you know, there's this, there's this horrible like misnomer that people think that dogs will just work it out. Like, okay, everyone, I'm going to say it right now. That's not the way that the world works. Dogs can't just work it out. Right. Like we need to be advocates for them and making sure we're setting up scenarios where they can be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, and then how long did that foster live with you before he got adopted? Um, just over a month. Nice. Okay. Oh my God. Did you feel so good after that? Like, Oh, she can do it. We can do this. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. So that I, I basically started looking to adopt another dog pretty much as soon as the foster left. Nice. Cause you knew that she could cope. She could like, she would be happy to live with another dog. Yeah. And I always knew like there would be some level of management involved with having another dog in the house, but I was like, you know what? It's, it's doable. It's possible. And I would like another dog. So. Yeah. And now you had like all of those like strategies in place that you knew worked for her that you could repeat. Right. Exactly. Right. right. Okay. And then, um, okay. So then, so who was the second dog that you added to your house permanently? So the second dog was actually asparagus. Um, (laughs) so he, he, he's, I guess, technically possibly not a permanent dog where he was a friend of a friend connected us. He was living in New York city. He's very afraid of anything that involves humans. Okay. or might involve humans. Um, so he was not doing well in New York city. He hadn't been outside in like six months because his anxiety was so bad. Um, so he came to live with us and he's so good with every dog. I mean, I wasn't super concerned. Um, the woman who originally adopted him was not concerned about Ariel and Gus getting along. Um, and that within like a couple days, they were honestly fine. Okay, so you knew going into it that Gus was pretty, like, dog savvy, that, like, he had good communication skills. Yeah. Okay, and I think that's a good point, too, right? That, like, you brought in a dog that you felt confident was already good with other dogs. Yeah, so she had fostered a bunch, and she had had, actually, like, a a dog that wasn't good with all dogs as a foster, and Gus did amazing with that dog and, like, left it alone when it was getting grumbly with him and was totally, he was totally good with that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's brilliant. Yeah. And I think that that's important, you know, that like, if you have a dog that can be dog reactive, bringing in another dog that also shares those same tendencies towards other dogs probably isn't your best bet, right? Like not that it's not possible, but knowing that it's a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's much more labor intensive on like the pet parents part. Mm-hmm. Right, because there, you have to do more crating and rotating and integrating. Yeah. Okay. So, um, did Gus teach Ariel about like communication styles? Like, do you feel like she learned from him? Um, a little bit. Yes. Nice. Uh, nice. I think so. She, 
as much as face-to-face really stresses her out sometimes, she really likes to mouth other dogs. Okay. Um, and so she's learned and is probably still learning actually that like not all dogs like that. Cause like Gus doesn't, he doesn't love it. He doesn't hate it, but he'll just like walk away from her because he's so good. And so she's learning like, okay, this dog doesn't want that. I will go do something else now instead of like continuing trying to get what she wants. That's nice. Right. So just like those subtleties and like the deference, right? Like Gus is like, nope, I'm just going to move away. Yeah. Nice. Nice. It's so fascinating watching dogs interact. Like just those like subtle communications that they're giving to each other that like, even though like you're really dog savvy, I consider myself very dog savvy. It's like, we're probably still missing some of the subtle communications that's happening. Oh, absolutely. I don't think we know any, like, we only know a small percentage of it, really. Yeah, totally. Okay, so um, okay, so so those two were getting along, and then when did you add Rose to the picture? Um, pretty early, pretty soon afterwards. Uh, okay. So I had been like in communications about meeting Rose at the time when the guest stuff kind of fell all fell into place, um, and so. I met Rose and it was kind of like love at first sight and I had to take her home with me. So <laughs> it happens. Sometimes you yeah. just have those kismet moments with dogs, right? Where like you were destined to be mine. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. And then how did the integration go with Rose and Ariel? Um, I would say not as well. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, so Rose is very unafraid to correct other dogs when they're in her space which okay. is totally normal and totally fine um but it's like healthy for ariel to deal with yes um okay. ariel doesn't take those corrections as well um so they're you know they are fine i would say 90 percent of the time and then 10 percent of the time they just can't be in the same room as each other Right, right. So like the same thing we were talking about earlier, right? Like if one of the dog wakes up, wakes up and maybe they're not in the greatest mood, maybe they're not feeling great. Are those things that like you're watching for and then you're like adjusting like the how you're letting them interact during the day accordingly to that? To an extent, yeah, it's actually like I've no- I've definitely noticed like when Ariel because she has arthritis. So when she wakes up in the morning, she seems really stiff. I definitely tend not to let them interact as much because I'm like, oh, she's more likely to be a little brat and, you know, not get along with Rose that day. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's so important to recognize, like physical ailments and pain plays a huge role in behavior in dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, are there specific like triggers and stuff you think that like, you know, they're not gonna be able to get along or is it just like sometimes like Rose goes to correct Ariel and it, she just can't handle it. Like, are there specific triggers or does it depend? Um, so definitely there's a, a bit of resource guarding on Rose's part over toys. Okay. Um, so if there's, if Rose is out and like has a toy and Ariel comes near, she'll like give a getaway signal and Ariel just can't process that. Right. Like it's it's too forward for her. Yeah. So we just don't have toys out when they're both in the same space. Nice. Um, Yeah. And then like on walks and stuff, they really just can't go like face to face. There's just too much other stimulus going on, like out in the world for them to also manage 
like a face-to-face interaction with each other. Right. Okay. Yeah, no. And I think that this is super important for people to realize, right? That like you have three dogs, but it's not just like they all just get to be loose together all the time with no rules and no management. Yeah. So Ariel and Rose are never left alone, unsupervised, out together. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's like expert pet ownership at its finest, right? Like there's no sense in pushing it and it like going south. Yeah. And I, I'm lucky enough to have room and space for that. I mean, I'm, I've got an upstairs and a downstairs, so they just each have their own floor all day. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's talk about um, what you've used in the way of like training aids. So like you said, peanut butter is a high value treat that Ariel really likes. Are there other high value treats that she really likes? Um, She likes cheese. Nice. Yeah. Cheese is an easy one and it's so affordable. Yeah. Yogurt is another good one. She likes softer things. Um, anything okay. that involves chewing is really hard for her. She's older. So I think her teeth are not great. Um, so anything that involves like chewing hard things or ripping apart, she won't take in a moment of like overstimulation. Yeah. Okay. And that's a super good point, right? Like making sure that it's easy for them to like take and like taste and move on like dry biscuits they they ain't gonna cut it right like there's too much going on those are low value and those are labor intensive in like the chewing and digesting department right (laughs) I mean there have been times when she's been like reacting and I'll just smear peanut butter on her face because she won't take it from me and after and then after she licks a few times then she pays attention to me Okay. And I love that. I love that strategy. You're just like, all right, I'm smearing some peanut butter. Here we are. Yeah. Right. For those moments where it's like, like we were talking about, like you can't control everything. And sometimes the dogs go over threshold and it just is what it is. So I love that as a management strategy. (laughs) It's worked enough times that it's worth trying. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Totally. Totally. Okay. And then, um, do you just use like a six foot leash? Um, typically yes. Um, I originally had her on like a harness, like a back pull harness. But since, since I started fostering, I switched all my leashes to Martingales just so that if I grabbed a leash and put the foster on it, they wouldn't slip out of anything. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't think it has to be a six foot leash, but I think it's important for people to realize that like a retractable leash, if a dog explodes at the end of a retractable leash, like you're going to have a really hard time getting the dog back. So I think it's important for people to realize that like a fixed leash is much easier on the human side of things. Oh yeah. I could never have her on like a long, some long leash. Yeah. She, she'd be so hard to control if she did react. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not worth risking it and putting yourself in that situation or her. No, she's so big and beefy. She could pull me down the street if she really wanted to. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. My young dog, Waylon, I seriously am like in the best shape of my life because he is so strong. I got to keep my wits about me when I'm attached (laughs) to that leash. (laughs) Yeah. It's a real concern. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, let's talk about the basket muzzle. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So when did you, when did you decide that like, you thought that maybe like a basket muzzle was like a good thing to like teach her to like wearing? Yeah. So we, about six months into, um, having her, I tried to take her on a pack walk with someone who I didn't really know who had dogs. Um, and she and that other dog like had an altercation and I was terrified. 
buy it. Yeah. Um, That's a negative uh, experience for you. Yeah. I mean, I was like after afterwards, I like shook in my car for like 20 minutes. I couldn't move. I was just, I was so scared by what had happened. And I was like, I can't put her in another situation where something worse could come from that. So I need to do everything I can to make sure that that never happens again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like people who listen to this podcast know I talk about basket muscles all the time. I'm a huge advocate for them. I think that they do brilliant things for like opening up a reactive dog's world. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, it's not just slap the muzzle on the dog. Right. It's teaching them that the muzzle is no big deal and then using it as an effective tool. Yeah. I spent nine months muzzle training her before I even attempted to introduce her to another dog. I love that. And thank you for sharing the timeline. You know, like that's important. Like you can't just muzzle train a dog overnight. There's no, there's no magic fairy dust in dog training people. I wish that there was, I would definitely be out of a job if there was, but there isn't. <laughs> All of my money would go to that. Yeah, right. Oh <laughs> Give me God. the fairy dust. Yeah. Right. All of our, we, oh, we'd be millionaires. We really would. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, so did, did you use peanut butter when you were conditioning her to like wearing the basket muzzle? mostly yeah because it's so easy to just smear on the inside yeah totally okay and then did did you notice like did she have any aversion to the muzzle like initially oh absolutely yeah she okay. did not did not want to put her face in and even now I would say like if I leave it on too long she'll start rubbing things to try and get it off okay yeah so there's like a time limit where she's comfortable wearing it yeah yeah that's a super good point right um okay so um let's talk about like when you use the muzzle now. So now I try to put it on her three or four times a week, just randomly, just so she doesn't know what the muzzle means and she doesn't associate it with seeing like a scary dog or anything. Good. Love and, that. And then anytime we go, anytime, I, pretty much anytime I'm walking in the neighborhood during, um, like people are home hours because so many of our neighbors have dogs that they just don't actually leash or train and they just run out into the street. Uh, uh, yeah. So like from the, from the hours of like five to nine every night, if I'm out with Ariel, I need to have her muzzled because I never know if we're going to encounter an off leash dog. Um, yeah. I, I use it every time we go hiking or if I'm going to a new place and I just don't know the dog situation. Yeah, no, and I think that's great. Um, I owned a dog. His name was Sonny, and he was super dog reactive, and he could be very, very dog aggressive. And we managed, and we did a lot, but I tell you what, the basket muzzle was huge for us because, like you said, like he got to go hiking with me. He got to go all these places, and I didn't have to worry, right? Yeah. And it's a real shame that people who – our irresponsible dog owners can put responsible dog owners in such vulnerable positions, but ultimately like you have to do what's best to make sure that Ariel is safe. And it's not fair that a dog runs up to her, but ultimately if there was an altercation, you're still liable. Right. And it, to me, it sucks because I feel like Ariel deserves to have a normal, happy, fun life. Like every other dog, she should get to go on those hikes and it's an on-leash hike. Everyone's dog should be on-leash, so she should be allowed to experience it, but sometimes that's not safe. 
Yeah. And I think that that's such a good point for people to recognize, you know, and honestly, in my experience, I don't think that people are trying to be malicious, you know, like when they let their dogs off leash. I think that genuinely people just do not have a frame of reference. Like, yeah, they don't get them, it. Yeah. To them, all dogs just get along and it's no big deal. So, you know, it's not the truth. Not all dogs do well with other dogs and you are putting not only your own dog at risk, but you are compromising years of progress and training for other people by letting your dog just run up to dogs that they don't know. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, like you said, two years you worked with her to get her to a point where she could cope out in the world. And it's, it's just not fair for people to rob you of that. Yeah, it's it's been hard sometimes because there's one neighbor who really doesn't get it. <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah. And it's so hard. But ultimately, you took the initiative to do what you needed to do for training, right? And she she gets to go outside because not taking her out is not an option, <laughs> right? Like a dog can't live inside its entire life. It has to go That's, out in the world. So good yeah. for you for being an advocate for her. Yeah, she definitely, I feel like she deserves a life. She's a great dog. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I seriously just adore all of her pictures and her cute little ears. She's so scrumptious. She she knows how to work it. (laughs) Yeah. She uses her ears. Yeah, right. And and then I definitely will include um, the handle for her Instagram account so you can follow all of her adorable dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, Abigail, if you were going to give any reactive dog owner a couple pieces of advice, what would they be? The first one would be don't be so hard on yourself when the failures happen. They happen. They happen to everybody. Just take a breather, have a glass of wine or something. Tell yourself you did your best and learn how to move forward from that. Yeah. Because um, that's honestly has been, has been a big one. Um, when you feel like you're in over your head, like go get professional help. Like there are people who are experienced with this and if you feel out of your depth, like that's okay. That's not a failure. That's you just need someone who's more experienced. Yeah. Professional help. Like that's seriously what we're here for. Like that's why I went through all the work to get certified and have spent thousands of dollars on continued education is because I want to help people. Yeah. 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 And, you know, just really quickly touching on like the self-care aspect, I think that that's so overlooked. Like we focus so much on the dog, but it's equally about the person. And you got to have like decompression, like de-stressing like protocols in place for yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're not addressing like your feelings about it, the next time it happens or the next time it might happen, you're just going to be so much more anxious and worked up and the dog's going to feed off that. Oh, yeah, because you got to be a teammate, right? Like you ultimately you're your dog's teammate. And if you're not in a good headspace, you're not going to be able to serve them as well as you could be if like you were calm, cool and collected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Yeah, this has been great. Yes. OK, so any final thoughts on reactivity in dogs? Um. The next time you're walking down the street and you see a dog barking and lunging, don't get mad. (laughs) Yes. I love that compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, um, Abigail, uh, how can people find you on Instagram? Uh, Our Instagram handle is Ariel the Brindle. Awesome. Um, Okay. And like I said, I'll include that in the show notes. Um, 
God, her dogs are so cute. You guys, you're just not even ready for the level of cute. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of costumes. They're so good. I mean, why not? And I love that your dogs are such good sports about it, too. Peanut butter, I'm telling you. (laughs) Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, people, people of the internet, peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I hope you enjoyed hearing um, an actual dog owner's perspective. I think it's easy as a dog trainer just to be like, do this and this and this. But I find it helpful to have an understanding of some of the realities of actually living with a reactive dog. Sunny was my reactive dog and he's been gone almost two years. So it's been a while since I've lived with a reactive dog. So I was so grateful to Abigail to come and share her journey with Ariel. Um we only covered a small scope of reactivity in this episode. I recognize that some dogs are reactive to other stimulus. Um, if you have a dog who is reactive to people and you have been using positive reinforcement to try and train through it, I would love to chat with you. So if you have a dog that's reactive to people and you are interested in joining me on this podcast, please feel free to send me a DM on Instagram and we can work that out. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com.